Section 7 of Sunbeams by George W. Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Spare the child and spoil the rod. It is a sad day for a father who has brought a son up with frequent whippings to realize that the son has got big enough to handle the father if it were necessary. A father who has been a tyrant over his boy is in hard luck when the time comes that the boy can pay him back if he wants to in the same treatment. Sometimes a minister is the hardest man on his boys of any father in a community. He has the spare the rod and spoil the child business constantly before him, and he often overdoes the thing, trying to be a sort of bad man example to other fathers, and it is often the case that a minister's sons are the worst boys in a community, whether on account of the whippings they get or not has never been decided. There is no minister or other father in the land who is in quite as tight a place at this time, on account of a boy growing to manhood with a memory, as the father of Jim Jeffries, the champion prize-fighter. It is said the old man never let a chance escape to trounce Jim when he was a boy, and often the boy thought there was no cause for the whipping. Jim often felt that the old minister would get mad at his congregation, or the scraps in the choir, the shortage at the donations, or the difficulties of preaching on an empty stomach, and he would come home and take a fall out of Jim. Up to a couple of years ago, Jim was actually afraid of the old man, because he would go at the boy with blood in his eye and chase him around the room, and break furniture with him, and the Los Angeles boys got so they would help Jim in the windows nights after the minister had said his prayers and gone to bed. It is pretty tough on a big growing boy to be trounced and then be made to get down on his knees and listen to a prayer an hour long when his knees are skinned from playing marbles, and to whip a boy good and plenty before breakfast and then compel him to ask a blessing or to tell a boy he will be attended to after breakfast, and then make him ask a blessing and thank the ruler for what is set before him, and say, for what we are about to receive, the Lord make us duly thankful. Jim Jeffries remembers what came into his life when he was a boy, and it is not strange now, as he returns to the roof tree, if he decides what he will do if the old minister attempts to do him up as he used to. It is possible the father has seen the handwriting on Mr. Fitzsimmons' jaw and that he will not assert himself in the old way if James spills the huckleberry juice on the clean tablecloth. But if he does forget the changed conditions and says, James, I want to see you in the woodshed after supper, he will be surprised at the alacrity with which James will appear in the aforesaid wood receptacle and if the ancient minister attempts to take young Jeffreys across his knee in the old familiar way and reach for a barrel stave with which to drive the rich red blood to the brain of his stalwart offspring, the old minister will no doubt be surprised at the forcible manner in which the champion will spread the gospel all around that woodshed with a blow in the solar plexus of the exhorter. Some friend may tell the father that if he feels that it is his duty to chastise James, that he send in a call for the hurry wagon 
or get the governor to call out the troops, or perhaps get some cowboys to rope James and tie him to a sedentary cow horse until he is properly branded with a barrel stave. If nobody is friend enough to this opinionated elderly preacher to give him a few pointers as to the position James holds in the world, and how little indignity he is licensed to stand from those who would molest or make him afraid, the old gentleman will try to do something to James that will cause the sleeping lion and the young man to be aroused. And if the big boy ever does start for that old man, there is no roped arena to keep him inside. There will come a time when this old man that never knew fear will see a human funnel-shaped cloud bearing down on him, and he will suddenly remember of a friendly cyclone cellar down by Santa Monica or Long Beach that he has noticed in his travels as a circuit rider, and he will pull out for the coast, and there will be a streak of coattail seventeen miles long between Los Angeles and Blue Water, with young Mr. Jeffrey's father leading the streak a few laps. As champion of the world, James cannot take any back talk from prince or pauper. From the world, the flesh, or the devil will be to pay. If he should submit to chastisement now by his father, and should challenge Corbett, Corbett would tell James that he must go and fight a woman and get a reputation. So the son advises the elder Mr. Jeffries to exercise care, and not let that hasty temper of his get him into the same trouble that the late Mr. Fitzsimmons, the actor, got into when his mouth got loose and went off when he thought it was not loaded. Haircut Curly A young schoolboy in an interior town has written to a teacher living here, asking her to go to a drug store and get him a bottle of some kind of stuff that will make his hair grow curly. He says that he is very good-looking, with sparkling blue eyes, and he has a pure white complexion, but that his hair, which is a sort of brick color, is straight, and he would give anything if he could put something on it that would make it curl. The teacher who received the letter thinks it must be a joke, as she thinks no boy of the present day could possibly be foolish enough to believe straight hair could be made curly and she has asked the son what it thinks of the proposal. Well, it is no joke. She may rely on that. In almost any school there is one boy whose hair is naturally curly, and every last boy in school is usually jealous of the curly-headed boy, for the girls pet him and make him think he is a little god on wheels, while the other boys with straight hair stand around like stoughton bottles at recess. The boys usually hate the curly-haired boy as much as the girls like him, particularly if he is vain and stuck on himself, as many curly-haired boys are. The curly boy can live it down if he is a good fellow and mixes with the other boys and does not set too much store by his hair. But if he is rich or proud and exclusive, he makes the other boys wild and they want to maul him. And yet every boy in the bunch would like to have curly hair at about a certain age. A man who is now on the supreme bench of a state not so far away, when a boy with the straightest kind of hair wanted his hair to be curly, and he was told in a joke that the barbers could cut hair so it would grow out curly if he asked them to. 
and for two years, whenever he had his hair cut, he told the barber to be sure and cut it curly, and he watched his hair every time he went near a mirror to see if it had begun to curl. The barber told him it would take time, but it would curl all right if he kept on having it cut curly. But it never curls worth a cent, and the judge is now rather glad his hair didn't curl under the manipulation of the barber, as he has got along pretty well with straight hair. But when he sees a man with curly hair, even though he is on the bench, he smiles out loud at his early troubles with his hair. The schoolboy had better not worry much about his hair. He should brush it once in a while and wash it with dog soap, but don't let its straightness cause worry. The only curly-haired boy in school is not liable to be the future president on account of his curly hair. It is something inside the hair that makes conventions seek a man for president. They often pick out a man and couldn't tell even the color of his hair or whether he has had any hair or not until after he is elected and inaugurated and then the nature of the president's hair is only noticed because some fashion reporter has alluded to it. If a curly-haired boy in school does not stand as well in his classes as the straight-haired boy, and does not get on as well in later life, it cannot exactly be laid to his hair, but the hair has had something to do with it. He has paid too much attention to it, perhaps, or has got the idea that he is blue-blooded because his hair curls, and feels that he is the whole thing in school, and after he gets out. The curly-haired boy is apt to let it grow long and shake his mane and try to look brave and savage or sweet and dear, and the girls spoil him. A flock of schoolgirls can spoil a boy quick if they neglect half the other boys and fawn around him. Spoiled in school, and a boy goes out into the world handicapped. He is simply traveling on his hair, and when the people are looking around for brain, he gets in the way and thinks they can't help seeing that he is it. But somehow they pass him by and pick up a duffer whose hair is full of burrs, but whose brain is throbbing and working overtime, and Curly wonders about it. So, boy, never mind the hair. Don't put any stuff on it to make it curl. If it curls natural, try to straighten it out with a comb, and keep right on studying algebra till your straight hair aches. THE COUNTRY'S BRIDE AND GROOM The trouble that Dewey and his beautiful young wife are having in New York, keeping out of sight of people and preventing themselves being carried on the shoulders of the populace if they show up at a bargain counter, is awful. But it will soon be over, and they can settle down to light housekeeping. The day will soon come when they, the bride and groom, will gather around the breakfast table with their appetites gone, and they will feel like kicking. There are so many things to kick about in housekeeping that one must have great control over himself to keep from making things blue all around. But the admiral who has lived on condensed milk for so many years can get along with a smile when the milkman fails to be on time. If the pancakes are not light enough, he must learn to eat them and not suggest that the cook put a little more baking powder in the batter as they used to do on the Olympia. That Olympia is liable to be as troublesome, if frequently alluded to, as the things 
that mother used to make to the ordinary bride. The time will come when it will not be well to mention how smooth things used to run on the Olympia, for in such a moment as you thinks not, the worm will be liable to turn, and the great man may be told he had better buy a canal boat and live on that. But the admiral will begin to realize that he is nothing but a human being, some day when he is helped on with his overcoat, the lint picked off the collar by the small white hands, and he is told not to wear his hat on one side in that rakish fashion, but to have it on square. And when he is asked who that woman is that he bowed to on the street, and when he says she is a clerk in one of the departments whom he has known for years, and he is told he better walk on the other side of the street when he comes home, he will realize that he is not in supreme command. Then he will be asked to drop into a store and match a piece of ribbon, and his fate is sealed if he complies with that request. The son does not desire to create trouble, but as an admirer of the great sailor, it does want to beg of him to decline, as politely as possible, the invitation to go to a store and match anything, for that is the entering wedge of a career of shopping by proxy. Once he matches a piece of ribbon, he is engaged for life, and from that out he will have a list of things to drop in and get that will take his valuable time from the government that needs his services so much. He will have to do everything, from ordering the coal to feeling of the breastbones of the chickens to see if they are ripe, and half his life will be spent on the revolving stools of the stores until he will be seasick from the motion and unsafe in his peace of mind from the bright eyes of the clerks and shoppers who will know him so well. If he tumbles to the first order to match a ribbon and winks and says, I have been there before many a time, and declines, he is saved. Or if he takes the order to match a blue ribbon and brings home a green one, and when scolded, puts in a plea of color blindness, his life will not be altogether a burden afterward. The best way is to never do anything of that kind right, but to make mistakes every time, and afterwards, when someone says, Why can't George get this on his way downtown? The bride will say, Oh, don't trust anything to George. He couldn't buy anything unless I was with him. If he went out to buy a horse, someone would sell him an automobile, and George will have established a reputation for absent-mindedness that will give him much rest. Some day, after the admiral has had set before him all the delicacies to be found in Washington, terrapin, canvasback, duck, oysters that are the best in the world, the bride will notice that his appetite does not improve, and he will sigh and have a faraway look in his eyes, and the line around his mouth will be pronounced, and the wife will say, as he pushes aside the rich food, What is it, George? Something is troubling you? What is there in the world that I can get that you can relish? His eyes will brighten, and he will say, Oh, if you could get me a can of beef such as Armour used to make, I could die happy. And the rattle of the can opener will be heard in the land, and the beef that made Chicago famous will be heard to drop with a dull thud on the bottom of the sailor's stomach, and a smile of peace and contentment will come over the face that has become so dear to the American people. 
he has got to learn not to blush and look guilty when a long hair is found on his coat of a different color from the one that has a right to be there. In a large city, where women's hair is blowing in the breeze all the time, unconfined and fluffy, a stray hair is liable to lodge on the coat of the best man in the world, and only those who are liable to be guilty are the ones who should blush. Let a sentiment be created in the family that stray hairs are the commonest thing to be found in the atmosphere, and in time no surprise will be manifest when they are found. But it takes a long time for a wife to get over wondering how in the very dickens that hair should have happened to lodge on her husband when there were so many men that it might have struck. But by patience and a good draw poker face, the desired effect may be obtained. Oh, George will be all right in time. End of section 7 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina